Good evening, Patriots. And it's Thursday, December 22nd in the year 2022. East Coast, you just hit December 23rd. A couple days away from Christmas and only about a day or so away from Christmas Eve. So I hope everybody's getting family together or planning on having just a really good time. Patriots, before we begin, make sure you're also considering and making your keeping your, your preps up with all the threats that are going on with this crazy government of ours. Patriots, if you haven't heard, we're heading into the worst diesel fuel shortage in 70 years. And that's a big problem. Because if truckers can't get enough fuel, grocery stores could go empty. You need to stock up now on emergency food. Visit MyPatriotSupply.com and grab a special offer from My Patriot Supply, the nation's largest preparedness company. You'll save 25% on their four-week emergency food kit with a wide variety of breakfasts, lunches, dinners, drinks, and snacks that provide over 2,000 calories a day for strength and energy. My Patriot Supply wants to help American families more by charging less. So go to MyPatriotSupply.com and you'll save 25% on their four-week emergency food kit. Order enough to get your family through the difficult times ahead. At least one kit per person in your home. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and grab all the four-week kits you need. MyPatriotSupply.com Patriots, food is security, both mentally and spiritually. And the time to prepare is now. Yeah, that's my Patriot Supply. You will not be disappointed. Like 20-plus years lifespan on the shelf, which is exactly what you need. Well, Patriots, we've got a time right now to really kind of reflect a lot on where we are and what's what's at stake and what's driving a lot of this. And so much of what we're working through is an over-addiction to social media. As a poster, you've heard me talk about adrenaline addictions and dopamine addictions. I want you to just hear this post because this is right in line with what I've said before. This is from Haroon Bandawal, and this is from Twitter. It says, social media overstimulated everyone's brains. Now they can't focus, need constant dopamine. They think healthy relationships are boring and need constant screen time. Artificial flavors, refined sugar overstimulated their taste buds. And now they think real food and water tastes weird. And he goes on. They're trying and winning at hijacking your dopamine receptors. With social media, cheap entertainment, porn, fake food. Become aware of this. Build your social media feed to your benefit. Abstain from the fakeness. Reset your brain chemistry. The spell breaks when you notice it. Obviously, identifying the problem is the first step. But the problem is pretty deep. And it goes to the pretty the principles of really what we've been talking about for almost three years now, which is county by county. And the, and the seven steps of county by county. We're into a period in holidays when obviously we were baking a lot of things, hopefully, and that you're involved in preparing meals, having meals together as family. And I say this because regardless of what you're cooking, if you're taking time to prepare meals, and I don't know what your normal is, I know a lot of people in this day, unfortunately, don't prepare as many meals. They get a lot of prepared foods. But really preparing from scratch is one of the key things. 
And I think it's something that if we pay attention to it, you can use the holidays as a jump off to becoming significantly more engaged in the world and much less dependent on these negative influences around us. Social media is one of those that I want to start with that tonight because it's one of these places that we end up building a channel and a pipeline of information that can over hyper stimulate everything about our lives. You know, I was spending time today feeding the cattle and I was also doing some filming for the Bards FM special, which will be Saturday night. And it's going to be a good one this year. I'm looking forward to having it out and I think you're going to really enjoy it. Some great people on it this year, great stories and just great messages. But with that, it's just taking time watching the cattle as I'm feeding them. And the life is pretty simple. And it, obviously, they're cows. I mean, it's, life is not a lot complicated, and, but it's something to reflect on. Their, their life is pretty much eat, do their thing after they eat. And the bull is busy. Whenever he's ready, he's going to mount and do his thing. And the calves are focused on staying out of the way of the big cows getting away from what they perceive to be a threat, and they want to be fed by their mama when they need milk. So I was watching today as one of the small calves broke away, and actually two of them went up on the hill to kind of tuck away from me in the tractor. And that small calf came down and started, started bellowing. And the mother was in the middle of eating, and she was obviously hungry, but immediately broke and went right to that calf. And immediately started letting the calf nurse. The fundamentals of just being human are being lost in this whole craziness of social media. And I'm pretty much convinced that most of what we're witnessing in this insanity of gender plurality, gender confusion, the disregard for the abuse of children, the acceptance of grooming as a mainstream art and normalcy, pedophilia as becoming a person's sexual choice. And right up there on the top of that list is also the acceptance of the rejection, deportation, outsourcing, and imprisonment of our parents into these death camps we call retirement homes. That's the best one right there. Most of these attitudes are perpetuated in the social media realm, and more so than ever now. Because as we grew up, if you're Gen X like me, the influence was TV, not social media. And my parents before then, the influence was more radio. But now we're at this point where it's social media, and it's consuming us everywhere. And I'm not talking about podcasts. Of course, I'm biased to podcasts, especially audio podcasts, because I think our brains work when we put together good stories especially when we're having a challenge to think through the story rather than visually watch the story. But I'm talking about the headline news and this oversaturation of absolute, literally absolute insanity. It is so hard for anybody in the media to produce a nice story. And we're hyper-focused right now on the things going down with Arizona and all of this to me is all by design as we have this omnibus bill passed 
is supposed to change our lives forever with this over a trillion dollars of spending into the most insane things ever. I mean, literally, like, if you were wanting something done, this was the time to throw it in the bill, which suggests to you that the ship is about ready to sink because they threw everything in the kitchen sink of this bill. They even are redoing the Iditarod Trail, like, whatever. And the problem is that there's a lot of strange logic going on in our heads because I th- we are so oversaturated. This point of being over, your dopamine receptors being oversaturated is no small thing. So you can, you add this series of events that have happened over this last year with this hyper focus on fear and a society that did not have a relationship to Father God. It, it didn't have a, a real tight, intimate relationship with Jesus, and they definitely weren't standing on a solid rock of faith. And we see that across the nation in so many different areas. So fear took hold as the primary religion. And as fear takes hold, it literally holds people in to that darkest space, which is separating them ultimately from Father God. Now, just as a subtext here, and I'll come back to the mainstream of thought, but you know, I do want to emphasize, and I've been talking about this now since the early parts of this vax, but it's something to really, really zero in on. We know that there's two primary issues that are killing people right now. Now, there's obviously there's autoimmune problems and there's things like this, but if you really dig into the two primary causes of death, it's heart issues and it's blood clots. And the heart issues are just all over the place. And then we go back to that advertising of the fourth industrial revolution that was put out by the WEF, World Economic Forum, back about two plus years ago. And every one of their videos always had, in the future of medical science, the 3D printing of a heart. They always tell us what they're going to do. There's no possible way, in my opinion, that they didn't know that this vax was going to damage the heart. And the reason I think that was so critical to them is the heart is the center of our body, not the brain, like we've been told. Again, we've, the education system we have is unbelievable. And literally, what we're being masters is, I played this piece, I think, the other day, but it's just a great, great perspective. Masters never teach the slaves how to read. And yet, are supposedly our masters taught us how to read, except what they did is they just took away the truth and they replaced it with a fiction. And they taught it in public schools and they controlled the textbooks and they controlled the science and they built an entire world that was a lie. And we're now at the antithesis of that experiment and that obvious, obvious success. They have managed to very successfully convince people that gender is plural, that children can make a choice to have sex with an adult as young as 12 or even younger, some argue as young as eight and six, that child pedophilia is a choice, that the economics that we see are okay, don't worry about it, we're just going to spend every bit of money we possibly can and keep printing money because money just comes from the sky, I guess. 
that everybody has a need and a right as a human right for health care and that everybody has a right towards some sort of free housing and a right towards a free income because the rich have too much money and therefore it's the master and the slave competition and it's the slaves that are trying to rise up and be the new rulers of the earth. All of that's garbage, but it's the narrative of the left in a simple term. So to look at this from a perspective of to look at this from a from a perspective of medical, um, this is always the one I find most interesting is how they create the dependency by calling it a human right on their own medical systems. And all of this, again, is reinforced through the narratives of freedom that always lead to the dependency of something greater than us. Stripping out God out of the culture has been one of their greatest successes of accomplishing dominance over humankind. And worse than that, not only taking God out, but creating a hostile environment to God in which God is translated to Christianity as a religion and then putting, tying in wars with religious right, as in rights, and corrupting the pulpits, which they've done successfully in key areas to where not only are they milk toast, but many are even, even been complicit in child sex trafficking. When you get done, there's not a whole lot to sell when it comes to religion. And that's probably one of the realistic things that we have to confront as we step forward with this. Over-energizing the dopamine receptors also does something else. Not only does it attract, does it draw people to high-intensity, high-risk things. That means increases even in the sexuality desires, to things that are beyond the normal limits of normalcy of society that takes us back to pedophilia. But it does something else. It dulls our interest in wanting to learn things of deep interest and of true deep passion and love, like scriptures. Because the Bible becomes a boring event. You read through it and you're like, oh, I don't want that. I'm going to share a story that ties into this. And it goes back to Afghanistan about 2010. At this point in the, in the conflict in Afghanistan, between Iraq and Afghanistan, special forces units had been pretty much stripped of their primary mission. And what they had done, which I have always said was intentional, because special forces' greatest mission was by, with, through, which was always to work with people to build the guerrilla armies that would then have the training and the capability to lead a fight to topple a government. Those are very, very powerful methodologies that they use. It only took about 460 guys, primarily special forces, 5th Special Forces, and a few CIA agents to topple all of Afghanistan. The war was effectively over by March of 2002 until Big Army came in and turned it into another 
military industrial complex money pit and death zone to try every weapon system under the under the sun. But from Afghanistan we went we were in Iraq too. Let us not forget, thanks to George W. who decided that it was a good idea to take us back into the quagmire of Iraq and to kill a bunch more of our boys and to slaughter a bunch of more of innocent civilians. And in that process, special forces were called over to help fill one of the primary missions, which was basically door kicking. They were using it, they were being swept into the high priority target acquisition, tier one and tier two target acquisition. So they were going in doing raids, building entry, doing kill capture on targets. The, interest, the reason I bring this up is that's literally a mission that was later proved that any infantry unit could do. In fact, 10th Mountain was trained over a process of about three months to be some of the most efficient entry and, and capture kill units in the theater. And only the high-value high stuff was really when you needed things like SEAL Team and you needed Delta Force. But Special Forces have a very unique mission, and it's all about setting up guerrilla armies and using their their multiple skill sets to train and to establish a force that can not only take on a government, a, a tyrannical government, overthrow it, but then help facilitate the establishment of new governments, governance. It's important. But what happened in the process between about 2003 and 2008 is that special forces were pulled into the Iraqi surge. And their primary mission became that of door kicking, what we call door kicking, literally breaching and going in and doing a kill capture. Why this is important is that mission is super high adrenaline, uber high adrenaline. And it, you do it enough and you're going to get addicted to that intensity and that way of life. And over a process of about five years, what also happened in special forces is a lot of their core mission set, which was this concept of working with the people, engagement strategies, building guerrilla armies, things that were not direct action, but rather they were indirect action. That was a true counterinsurgency concept. Foreign internal defense is another term. These actions, these people over five years, they had a relatively high attrition rate. So not only did they change the mission to a high adrenaline mission for almost all the special forces units, but as they went through people, the new guys coming in were being trained on this high intensity mission and the other skill sets were slowly being diminished. I entered into the picture with them about 2008. And by 2010 was actively involved, 2009, 2010 was, and, and onward, was actively involved in training some of the key mission sets of engagement. Now, engagement is not a sexy thing, by the way. It's patience. It's a lot of listening. It's a lot of eating goat and eating rice when you're in the Middle East. It's a lot of drinking a lot of chai tea. And it's definitely not high adrenaline in the normal sense of the word. 
it takes patience and it takes a methodical strategy to move things forward. And I will tell you, to see these teams when you'd encounter them, they would just, that was not their thing, especially when we were dealing with third group and seventh group teams. It wasn't their thing. They had become very focused on the high adrenaline mission. So I was asked to go down and work with a third group team down at a place of Maywand. And what had happened down there is that one of their guys had been blown up in an IED. And the team, besides the team wanting to get blood vengeance for it, they were also on the verge of being pulled out of the region, which had never been happen- it never happened before. I've told this story before in a couple different veins, but I want to focus on this tonight because it's really the principle of adrenaline and the difference in engagement. Social media is the war of high-intensity adrenaline. When we're in it, you're, people like get in, into the fight. You'll hear them talk about it. And they feel like they're changing something. They're doing something. And that's what happens a lot with the door kicking because it's direct action. You break, breach a door, you're going to get one person or a few. But the problem of the bigger issue of how that fight continues doesn't really change. They just, you get one leader, you get one. And the idea behind it is we need that leader to dissect the networks. And I mean, there's understanding why they do it. But the principle is that if doing it over and over, it becomes an endless cycle of removing somebody and someone else filling the place. The real change in any conflict like this is changing the foundations of how people think and interact in the world. That's ideological changes. And you're not going to do that in the high intensity, high adrenaline world because between adrenaline and dopamine, those chemicals and those neurochemicals are so intense that your cycles are very short and highly intense to, to maintain that sort of levels. So it's basically a drug fix. And it's very much like getting hooked on, a person getting hooked on meth from what I've witnessed because the hit has to be repeated over and over to keep that high up. It doesn't last long. And so that's what ends up happening in the social media realm and is reflective of the same type of military conflict strategies of focusing only on high-intensity engagements or direct action-type door-kicking, breach, entry, and nab-and-grab, kill-capture stuff. It's that intense. And as people get wrapped into their addictions, into dopamine and adrenaline, it's very difficult for them to do things any other way. There's a high level of narcotic that goes with everyday Literally prepping your weapon systems, going through, counting your ammo, checking your gear load, seeing how you're kitted out, maximizing the refinement of your gun, focusing on the range time, making sure your precision is there. It's very addictive. And I'm not saying that those skills shouldn't be kept up, but it's, it becomes the primary and singular mission. Now, there are, there are units in the military that do just that, but I want to go back to the point of special forces because what, it is, what makes it unique and has always made it unique was the fact that these guys could literally be dropped way behind enemy lines, even go into countries. They would work locally. They would live with the locals. They would eat with the locals. They would 
survive with the locals and they would build up with essentially no resources. And at times that was literally the case in Afghanistan. There was no resources for weapons to arm local villages and they were using intelligence to their intelligence systems to find the caches of weapons from the Taliban, take those weapons in, for example, rebuild them, refresh them, and then use them for the locals. It was an idea of literally like $0 input to create a standing army. All of those things require an inordinate amount of patience, high levels of focus on training, the slow development of people, the understanding of where people are, meeting them where they're at, and spending time literally getting to know them by engaging with them, listening to them, listening to their stories, and building a relationship with them that would then become a relationship that you would repeat and build on over years. When you're kicking in a door, there's no relationship other than, hi, you need to come with me. No, okay, I'm either going to shoot you or we're going to tackle you and take you down, throw you in the back of a truck or the back of a Chinook or the back in the side of a Blackhawk and see you later, bye-bye, and then your family will never see you again. You're disappeared. The war that we're in right now, the information war, has those two aspects to it. Those are the two camps. And when we go even further which is those that are addicted to this high level of engagement, a lot of this nonsense narratives that just keep surfacing around. And there is so much of that going on right now. There is the, we have the rise of Benjamin Fulford today releases a piece about all the reasons why they let this arms dealer go from Russia apparently because he, he was responsible for the micro-nukes that blew up the buildings in 9-11. And I'm like, man, how far are we going to take that story? Because we have no fact on it, but we're just going to make something else up, which is just going to drive more traffic and people are going to go down these rabbit holes again because i got to know about it. In the meantime, the omnibus bill gets passed. In the meantime, the digital currency and and the noose of putting everybody into digital enslavement is getting closer by the day. In the meantime, all of the measures are being quietly passed at the state level to mandate mandatory vaccines and and internment camps that people don't comply. All of this is happening, but we need to spend time trying to figure out if Benjamin Fulford's going to be right with his micronuke story. I mean, and that's my point. It's a high intensity adrenaline fix. Like I got to find this. And I see this a lot because I see a lot of this uh, type of research where people are trying to, they're asking questions and putting things forward and challenging narratives and trying to build pictures. And it's like, none of this is making any impact, zero impact on the movement of creating a victory in this war, other than just satiating people's personal adrenaline fixes and their dopamine hits. That's all it's doing. When we step away and focus on what makes legitimate difference and transformation, suddenly everything slows down. It's not exciting like it is to read headlines when you go out and you rake the garden or you 
spray your plants with neem oil or you pick off caterpillars or you start seeds. These are slow, methodic processes. They're not high intensity. They're focused and you're literally building a whole different set of capability in your mind and your neural processes rather than what's happening on the other side. The hijacking of the body and the mind, and in my opinion, the hijacking of our relationship with Father God comes from social media and the intensity of the dopamine addiction because that becomes far greater. When you take time to read Scripture and take time to reflect on Scripture, you're changing much more into kind of a serotonin level rather than your dopamine. And it's a, you're going to a much calmer, much longer type environment. That's what a sustained operation does. So let's go back to the story where I was with third group special forces because I came down in a moment of high intensity. And I was asked to go down and work with them. And this moment of high intensity was that this group had lost somebody, one of their teammates, he had been blown up. And it was bad. And they were ready to go in and like literally sweep this entire village and be done with all of them. And then at the same time, because of the threat of that, and there had been little progress in building relationships with the community, the command structure was torn between the long-term special forces mission and the high-hit, high-intensity mission. But there was one colonel that remembered and knew the right way and the old way of special forces, and that's who called me. So I went down and I worked with them. And the reason I bring this story up is it was hard for the team. It was difficult to have to now sit with engagement. And I had to literally demonstrate in a very, this is a very difficult thing to do too, by the way, because I have an enormous amount of respect for the training these guys go through. I didn't come from their background of training. I came from a completely different angle. So I'm an outsider to them and these teams are very tight. So there's a lot of delicate walk you're having to do. And my mission was not to go down there. Or my intent was not to go down and to show the team they were wrong, but rather to help them get to a solution to meet them where they were at and help them get to a solution that they could then embrace as their own, whatever that looked like, and come to a better success and not have to leave that village because it was a very critical note in the operations. So part of this is to demonstrate what right looks like. And I highlight that because I don't think we do that enough. And in fact, most of the time we don't do that. We either want to do it ourselves or we want a quick fix on something, but we don't want to demonstrate what right looks like. When you're in the capacity that I was in, there was no other way because I had to first convince them that I could be trusted and number two, we had to then go through a process that I advocated, which was basically engaging with the elder and having conversations, observing what was going on, and then leading to some sort of resolve. And again, I, I was this was a moment when I just say well, God was definitely with me on this one because it wasn't expected what came out of this, but... So we'll continue with the story to that point. We sat down with the elder, and there's a lot of suspicion here. The team is frustrated. They're ready to go do 
their their revenge hit, and then I don't. They've lost one of their buddies. They're at the same time being torn with orders that like they're going to have to pack up and leave, which was would have been the first time in special forces history to ever have to abort a mission. And the tool set which they have within them, all of their training showed them how to do engagements, but it was not exactly on the front burner of let's go sit down with somebody and engage somebody and have a cup of tea after you blew us up. So there's some pretty intense emotions going on here. The team was receptive to what I was offering. That's a big one. Though probably suspicious a bit, but receptive. And so we went out to the village and we set up an engagement and the team let me run the engagement, which was a big deal because special forces typically controls their area of operation pretty tightly. And I have so much respect for this team because their team leader and their team sergeant both were willing to do what was necessary to try to stay into that mission. And they were willing to observe what I had to offer. So they set up a perimeter security. And I had a very good interpreter. His English name we went by was Frank. I never could ever say his Afghan name. And Frank had been trained as an interpreter for the CIA. So he was, even though he was not American, his English was exceptional, and he was very capable in both Pashtun and Dari and some of the local dialects in Pashtun, which is very hard to find. And I was fortunate in my time, most of my interpreters had that sort of capacity, and Frank had that. And we were in the south of Afghanistan. We were in a place called Maywand. And so we sat and we engaged with the elder. The elder went by the name of Baba John. And so I had a, the special forces guys set up their perimeter. The team sergeant was sitting right near me. The team leader was right by me. And I engaged with the elder. And it was just kind of a nonchalant discussion. But again, the critical piece is listening. And as we were going along, I'm paying attention to what's happening. And I'm noticing that every time the elder says something, it gets a little close to something that the grandson who's sitting right next to him doesn't like. The grandson speaks up and the elder drops his eyes. Now, Details in a context like this are always important. And I, I'm sharing these things because these are things to consider when we're working in our own communities. This, these aren't just stories. These are stories of application. And when we go through the seven pillars, one of the pillars, which is pillar number six, is informed action. And I take that very seriously. And informed action is one of those places that we have to start to know what's going on in the environment. When you're going to sit with somebody like at the school board, you should know who's funding them. You should know what bills have come in from the federal government. You should know what measures they've signed. You should know who voted for them or at least what their orientation is and then try to find out, for example, who the purse, purse strings are that got them in office. This, In this situation down in Maywand, it was a similar issue, but it didn't have to do with money. It had to do with leverage. The old man had shown up beat. He had uh, he had been beaten up a little bit. He had a bad hip, as I recall, or a bad shoulder, or something. He made a fall, and he said he he said everybody I fell, and I was very suspect of this 
But the grandson was there trying to help him and acting like he was good. But as I watched this conversation, I got suspicious because every time the elder began to speak, the grandson would interject and the elder would pull back. And this should not be. If you understood the relationships of the elders in the community, the younger would never speak out of turn. The elders were always given the floor because they were the wisdom class. So again, these are nuances that I spent a lot of time studying to try to understand the environment. And I go back to that training thing. You spend a lot of time on the range. You can spend a lot of time polishing brass, getting your precision right, all those things. But it also takes a lot of time, training, and study to understand your environment in its detail. So as I'm going along here and I notice this happening, I turned to my interpreter, Frank, and they didn't speak English, and Frank and I spoke in English, and I said, Frank, I want you to push the grandson. And he turned to me and he said, how hard and how far? I said, as hard as you can, I want to see if I can make him break. Now, Frank understood what I was asking. And what he did was then to dig into some of these edgy topics And they had an exchange, which Frank was very good at reading his own culture, about what the grandson's role was, what the grandson had been doing. And all of a sudden, the grandson just literally exploded. And he got up out of the meeting, which is unprecedented, by the way. And he yelled at the Special Forces guys. And he said in Pashtun, I'm glad I killed you. He admitted his crime. When that happened, suddenly the the team sergeant looked at me and he said, what just happened? I said, pick him up. And then I said, well, I'll catch you up. And they immediately called for security to pick up the kid and detain him. He had also, the reason the grandfather had had a fall was because the grandson had beat him up. And as we pulled this apart, the grandson was working for the Taliban, keeping the, the elder in a state of abuse and under threat as he had helped facilitate the IED under the grandfather's name. Because what had happened, to go back on that story, is the elder had invited the special forces team into his village to sit with them and have a conversation. On the way in, the special forces team got hit with an IED. So this whole thing began to unravel, and and the elder was getting blamed rightfully in the perspective that we had at the time that he was somehow responsible for setting this up, when in fact it wasn't that at all. Unbeknownst to him, his grandson has interceded, called in his Taliban buddies. They had put in an IED in the, on the way in of the, of the event. And when it blew up, they killed one of them. Then the grandson abused the grandfather and kept him under wraps and under threat. All of that literally unfolded with just simple, steady, observing-based conversations that we were having in the moment. Some people would call it an interrogation. It really wasn't an interrogation. It was just a conversation. But pushing people to the point where the truth finally came out. Now, what's the moral of all this story and this talk tonight? In this fight on social media, we're not listening to one another and we're not getting to the core issues and we're definitely not making a change. 
The changes that we have to make are going to take the steady hand and patience to pressure people. Right now, like when you engage a school board, for example, they're controlling the time and the way you engage with them. And the community's going along with those rules. In that instance, I actually broke protocol in Afghanistan. I should not have spoken across the elder into his grandson. That's actually considered rude. But I didn't care because what was at stake was a good man. I knew it because I did enough research around the elder. He did not need to be framed for this crime, and I had a deep suspicion he was not part of it. And I also could see by his body reactions that he wasn't as he wasn't free to speak. So I broke protocol. I didn't allow the rules of the cultural rules to control me. And in so doing, we were able to pressure the young, young kid, the grandkid, the grandson, to where he, lacking maturity, under pressure of just some direct questions, basically revealed his own crime. What came out of that meeting was profound. And I even have it on tape. I, I taped it for Special Operations Command. And it was a testimony by the team sergeant. And, we, and he told the story of losing one of his men. And it was emotional. He was in tears. It's hard to lose somebody that you're that close to. These are, when you're on teams like this, this is like brotherhood. Deeper sometimes than blood bonds. They live together. They work together. They fight together. Those types of bonds are well beyond at times anything we get born into. And I respect it immensely. And he told that story of losing his teammate. It's actually, you know, as a team sergeant, it's one of his soldiers. But he also then said this. He said, you know, he he said, we wanted to do what we do. We wanted to get our vengeance back. He said, but... What we've learned here is we've restored our mission. We understood that our mission now, there was always a risk when they go into special forces that they could lose somebody. And don't get me wrong, it isn't like you aren't going to try to find the culprit of doing it. And this gets back to the principle of justice. But you have to engage with a forgiving heart. And that's what it comes down to. As crazy as this is in the middle of war, you can't have the burdens of vengeance on your heart to properly engage and get to truth. And that was essentially his testimony. I'm shorting, shortening it a bit. That was essentially his testimony. So it's crazy because here in the middle of war, in one of the hottest contested areas in southern Afghanistan, in an area where you would expect to have all-out fighting, the only way through down there was to do what they did best. My role was just a short time, basically just to step in and in a very emotional moment, just to kind of point to the way that they did so well, offer some of my own expertise, which was just cultural intelligence and understanding some of the deeper nuances that they may have missed in the relationships between Afghan elders, their grandsons, community relations, etc. And in the process, got them back towards their primary mission set 
And they did so with enthusiasm. And then later, as I talked to them later on, they were like, dude, this is the hardest and most satisfying work we've ever done. So this is a point of encouragement. It's difficult to engage people. It's difficult to have the patience to listen. It's difficult to listen with the intent of hearing what they're saying, understanding what they're saying, and then seeing where they're at. That's the critical pieces. And once we understand where somebody is, then we can begin a conversation to meet them where they are. That's literally in my interpretation of what Jesus was doing when he was meeting with the prostitutes and the tax collectors. And that sort of discussions weren't going to be religious and and lofty of heaven, I'll tell you right now. There was going to be some pretty guttural discussions going on and some pretty raw stuff said. But it was a point of listening, seeing somebody's heart, seeing what's true and getting through that. That doesn't happen in social media. It happens face-to-face. It doesn't happen in the headline news. In fact, it goes just the other way. It's just a saying it was door-kicking. So right now, as we go through a very difficult period for the entire patriot movement, there's a lot of people seeking quick fixes. They're looking for the white knight to come in and save them. They're expecting something big, maybe rolling in from Durham, They're looking for whatever that is to save the day. And in the process, people that are following that path are missing the entire war. The foundation of the fight is going to be won by our ability to listen and engage with people, to meet them where they are, and then to move them closer in a relationship with Christ. But it's not going to begin by throwing a Bible in their face and knocking them out of their chair. That's essentially the equivalent of door kicking. And it's not going to be solved by pulling out all the Q theories or the starting a conversation with, oh, by the way, do you know about child sex trafficking? That usually is not a good icebreaker. But as we hear where they are and we begin to work with people and provide questions and to work them through to a point where we can understand where they're at, change begins to happen in a big way. So the bottom line on this is that we made huge progress in Maywand. It was one of my areas I worked. Violence dropped. We ended up having a peace treaty that lasted six months, which is unprecedented if you understood Maywand. And all of it was done without having to fire a shot. And by the way, that whole time, it took almost 18 months to get to that point. And a lot of engagement, a lot of talking, a lot of rice and goat, more than I want to eat again, a lot of really good non, and a lot of conversations that were literally at points nauseating to the point of blathering. But it was the respect for a process and a trust in a bigger mission and a direction that we had to go and an understanding that we weren't going to get there through violence. 
It's not that violence wouldn't occur and it wouldn't, and it's not that violence wouldn't be put down, but the intent was not to drive with violence. And the greatest thing about that is at the end of the day, that direction, which sounds very scriptural and very, very biblical, was right at the core of one of the most powerful mission sets the Special Forces has to engage, to work with, and through. Something just to think about, especially as we head into the family gatherings for this weekend. Patriots, let's pray. Father, we're blessed in these times to reflect on different stories and the stories of war in particular that take us to the extremes to remind us that even in the midst of the most crazy moments that we can find a way through if we have the patience and the willingness to hear and meet people where they are. We're a country now for the first time in our history perhaps other than our, the early days of our country, where we are all subject to a universal hit of war. And this war is devious, as you know, Father. This war is not one of violence and bodies, medical assistance and dead family members in the normal way. This war is stealth. This is a war that an injection has been given to people that die slowly or die over time. We're seeing the destruction of trust, the scrambling of thoughts, the destruction of truth, and a constant rolling of deception to keep people off base. And so tonight our prayers are literally on the centering of ourselves in the body of Christ. We pray for that amazing focus and center in the body of Christ that we can hear and see with eyes that you give us, with ears that you give us, to understand where people are, to meet them where they are, and to embrace them with the most powerful tool we have, that tool of true kingdom love that allows us to appreciate them, hear them, and then move their hearts from where they are with patience to a relationship with Jesus. On this period here, as we are in a very festive, or at least spiritually festive, time this week and next, as we prepare to make a turn into the new year, our prayers right now are just for that endurance and that peace and that patience to extend grace to another, to listen, to understand people better, and in so doing, to heal separations and wounds, to build new strength in relationships, and to reset ourselves again more firmly on that rock of faith, casting away any foundations built on sand. Guide us, Father, in these times. Bless us, and we say these things in Christ Jesus' name. Amen. So Patriots, just encourage you to just reflect on some of these stories that may fit with you and may not. I can just tell you that the work that I did in three and a half years of Afghanistan was centered on that type of thing. And 
it's not always enjoyable. I will tell you that, especially when you're meeting with some serious dirtbags. But at the end of the day, it is impactive. The one thing I can say is even when I met with people I couldn't stand, there was always a request that I would come back to meet with them again, which is bizarre, maybe, but maybe not. Because what you find is that most people, even in the extremes of the people that I met with, they didn't have people that would take time to listen to them. Listening is a powerful skill. It's very disarming. And in listening, people tend to speak a lot of their heart and then are held accountable, especially when you're dealing with people that are used to arguing and, ha- and proving their way. Peace, listening is not passive. And it sure as heck, it doesn't give away anything because it allows you to find, allows us to find those center points where we can put the questions those Achilles points where you can add questions and force, force reflection and yet kill, still keep a conversation going just enough and right to the very edge sometimes. And you hold it right there because it's that sort of tension that undoes so much of their, in, their intensity in which they've been programmed by. Keep your head up and your eyes forward. Never bow to evil. Never relent. Always press into the fight. God is with us. He'll never forsake us. And God always wins. And we are here in this time and this place for just such a time as this. We are at war. So walk boldly and fearlessly with Christ. Occupy the land. Expand the kingdom. Subdue the enemy. Mission forward. Patriots, have a very blessed evening. I'll see you tomorrow for Bended Knee. Merry Christmas to everybody. It's a really beautiful week. Until then or until the next time, God bless. Good night. Thank you. And out for now. Oh, I want to feel something. I just want to breathe again. To the deepest end Oh, I want to feel something Let me get back in my body
Just to feel